Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. All right, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, almost wharf online, sunburymotors.com. And let's get right to it. It is great to bring in the general manager of the Kansas City Chiefs, Brett Veach, Mount Carmel Zone. Uh, congratulations on, once again, another trip to the Super Bowl. We're making this uh, talk uh, leading into the game, an annual event. Yeah, appreciate it, Steve. It's um, great to be on the show. And, um, yeah, now listen, it's it's been another uh, great journey, and um, it's always a lot of fun. Never take it for granted. It's certainly a, it's a hard thing to do, but uh, certainly going to enjoy the, um, the weeks leading up and, and looking forward to the game. No question. Uh, look, there's always this is a league where there's a lot of changeover, and there's been a lot of changeover on your offensive line. In fact, a guy that used to be on your offensive line I see almost every day, that's Stefan Wisniewski. Donovan Smith yeah. was brought in this year. He may ended up making nine starts for you, but he's on that left side. What kind of addition did he end up being for you this year? Yeah, look, Steve, we always find a way to get a, a Penn State guy on the roster for, yeah, for, the, big, right. for the big moments in the big games, right? No, listen, he's been great. And, um, you know, last season, um, coming off Super Bowl win, uh, like every year you have a lot of work to do. But, you know, we had, um, you know, a little bit more of a difficult task last off season. We lost both tackles and uh, able to sign Juwan Taylor quickly out of free agency and got through the draft and, um, you know, always want to make sure we're doing what we need to do for the quarterback and keep him protected and, had a chance to um, um, get in contact with Donovan and, and bring him in here, and needless to say, you know it was a huge addition for us and a guy that's played that long in the league, and, and uh, you know he's logged a bunch of starts, um, but just a great person, uh, brings a lot of character and personality to the to the practice field um, every day. Um, again, like I said, one of those guys just has so much experience. He's a great mentor for the young guys, and uh, he's a big reason, you know, why we were able to win those three playoff games. And, and getting him back healthy at the right time was um, certainly good fortune for us. You brought up something in that answer. I thought that was interesting. You talked about the character of somebody, what they bring to the table, not just as a football player. How important is that evaluation for for you as you're putting quote a team together? Yeah, I mean, it's really one of the most important things. I mean, um, in this league, I mean, it, there's um, a lot of parity, and most of these games get decided by two or three points, and um, you're always going to have, in every season, um doesn't matter how they end. I mean, we've been fortunate to have some successful seasons here, but um, in all of those seasons, we face a lot of adversity. So I think, you know, just having those guys that um, understand it, it, it's a mar- marathon, it's not a sprint, um, understand it's going to be tough at points, but just keep that positive outlook on things and, and come to work every day and be the same person. Um, continue to do the hard work, and um, you know it, it, it just enables not just a position group but the team as a whole to just handle adversity. And you're going to get hit with a lot of adversity here. And the one thing I'm super proud about this team is you know they uh, always under a microscope. Um, you know we're type of team now that when we travel, I mean we're the team's A game on their schedule and. Um, you know, have to take their best shot week in and week out, and um, guys learn from it and and stay the path. And I think it makes us tougher at the end of the season. 
I mean, you put a team together. Something that was frustrating in watching Kansas City this year were the number of surprising drop passes. What hasn't happened in the postseason? You haven't dropped any passes. Uh, when you signed these guys, you didn't expect that to happen. How frustrating was it for you at times to see guys that you know what they're capable of and they had that inconsistency to now see it become consistent? Yeah, well, I think it's a combination of, of you know, both of those things. I mean, yeah, it's always – I mean, listen, you, we're going out there every week to play our best, and, you know, it's frustrating when, um, you know – some weeks that you know those things happen and um you know but I, i'll say this like even though there was some frustration and there was some disappointment throughout the course of the season uh i don't think any of us here on the staff and certainly the players in the locker room i think that you know the ability was always there and all these mistakes were, were correctable you know that was the one thing that we just kept our eye on the future and and you know just accepted it and, and used it as an opportunity to to learn from it and yeah you know, i i think looking back on this season um you know probably our worst performance of the year was the, the christmas game against uh, las vegas um you know probably played our, our worst game of the year but you know at the time you know it was a a big blow to us but i really think looking back on it that's probably one of the most important games of the year because i think it provide an opportunity for us all as an organization to look in the mirror and, and you know, to really focus in on the small things and the details. And, um, you know, sometimes that happens with a long schedule and, you know, these guys are they emotionally and physically, they, they wear down a little bit. And um, every now and then, it, if, if you have experience like we did uh, against Vegas on Christmas Day, um, it can go one of two ways. It, it can, you know, maybe turn your season um, the wrong way and, and things only get worse. Or you can really, you know, use that opportunity to look in the mirror and, and um, you know, reach all that potential you have, and, and, and really focus in. And um, so, listen, you know, some of those early drops and all that stuff. But yeah, it was frustrating because you yeah. know we put a high premium on excellence and, and playing our best week in and week out. Um, but there was never a loss of confidence. And you know, we always knew that talent-wise, um, you know, there's more than enough in this locker room to win games. It's just a matter of um, you know being more consistent and you know taking care of our own self-inflicted mistakes. You've had really a great eye for talent during the course of your career. It's what's helped separate you from others. Are there a couple of guys on this team that either you drafted or you signed on this particular team that may be under the radar that you're particularly proud of because you saw something that maybe some others didn't? Oh, that's a tough one because, you know, you hate saying names and then you feel like you leave. Yeah, you um, leave somebody out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, players out. But um, I look, I'm really proud of all these guys. And, you, you know, we've been fortunate. And I got a great personnel staff and great coaching staff that supports us throughout the draft process here. But, um, you know, we've been fortunate where a lot of these young guys that we bring in year in and year out are, you know, have to step up and, and, and contribute. Um, you know, obviously last year, you know, with what Pacheco did in the postseason run, yeah. you know, being a seventh round pick and, um, you know, this year, you know, a guy like Jamari Connor, um, you know, we had a couple good safeties and Justin Reed and Brian Cook, um, we brought in Mike Edwards, three really good safeties. We had an injury to Brian Cook. He got hurt. And then, you know, Jamari's been asked to step up and have a bigger role and really proud of the way he's come along and, and has gotten better and better every week. But, um, Certainly, to to get where we want to go, and and you know, hopefully, to finish this thing off, it, it you know, it it requires all hands on deck, and and all these guys, whether 
if you know whether it's Pat Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, or you know guys in the practice squad. I mean, they all have a big part in 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 regards to why we are where we are, and um, just really proud of all of them for their for their work and their dedication. Along the way, who's give me a name of a, a person or a couple of people that influenced how you saw things, how you looked at something, gave you a tip as to what you might be seeing. You know, does that fit with your own personal instincts? Who who influenced you, Brett? Well, I mean, starts right at the top with uh, certainly Coach Reed. I mean, um, blessing and and just really good fortune to to start my career with him and 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 still work with him. But um, without question, um, you know, Andy's been my biggest influence and in being able to see the game through his eyes and and you know, not just the X's and O's, um, not just you know roster composition but really culture and, and character and you know how that works on a day-to-day basis and how important that is so um you know without question you know coach reed is at the top of that list and then you know two guys that when i came to Kansas city took me in and, and and coached me up and that would be john dorsey and chris ballard i mean those two guys um you know john coming from green bay and chris coming from chicago um super experienced guys and um you know they helped coach me up in regards to just, you know, running the show and, you know, meetings and um, just the proper schedules and procedures just to keep everything organized and details and, and to not miss anything. So, um, you know, I, listen, I've been <laughs> um, from Coach Williams at Mount Carmel to Tubby Raymond at Delaware to Andy Reid with the Eagles and the Chiefs, um, you know, and then working with, with John and Chris, man, I, I have, um, you know, benefited more from being around great people than anybody <laughs> there is so um never take that for granted and um just uh again very lucky that i've had the opportunity to work with some really really good people yeah no and i i, I do the same thing in my career I do do a long list of people just like you can which has uh, been phenomenal how difficult is the financial piece of this because it's such a puzzle I mean, how much time is needed and put in by everybody in the organization to make it financially fit so you can put a competitive team on the field while also staying within structure? Yeah, it's, it's extremely hard. Uh, it's difficult, but, you know, that that's the beauty of the league, and, you know, that's why the NFL is so popular, and that's why these games always come down to the end. I mean, um, the better you are, the you know, the more your players cost. And... Additionally, you're you're picking later in the draft every year, so um, it is set up for teams that don't have a ton of talent on their roster um, to go out there and, and get better players, and it's structured for teams to have high premium picks. And um, you know, the more you win, um, the more disadvantaged you are in regards to um, you know the cap and and you know your your draft allocation. So um, it's a challenge. It's, it's a puzzle and you know, you, it's basically just a series of contingency plans, and so you're going to have to to work through through the draft with you know the unknown of what's going to be there at 32. But you're also going to have to do a ton of work on the front end and free agency, and and find some guys that you know right off the bat you're going to be out of the market for a lot of these guys because you don't have the cap room, and you just got to do a ton of work. And, and so when the market doesn't materialize for certain players in certain positions, you have to be ready to jump on those guys and, and sign them right away. I think we did that last year when you know we didn't have a, a ton of room to work with, but um, especially after we signed the the left tackle. Um, but you're sitting there and you're doing a ton of work, and then when guys like Drew Tranquil become available and Mike Edwards become available, you have to be ready to go. So it's just a matter of 
just preparing a lot of different plans and, and being flexible and being able to be fluid throughout this process. And, and, you know, you can only do that if you put a ton of work in on the front end. And, um, you know, fortunately for us, we've got a great staff and, and you know, we do all that legwork uh, so that when we run into those situations, we have these issues. Um, we're not pigeonholed into, hey, this is the only shot we got. You know, we try to leave as many different paths to get to where we want to go as possible. So um, just a lot of work on the front end. Uh, Brett, I hope you don't mind. One final question, then I'll let you go, because I know you have a series of these to do. When you do have success on a personal basis, you know, I'm talking about now personally, how much time do you give yourself to enjoy it before you know you get to go back and start working on the next season? Not enough time. <laughs> yeah. I don't feel like it's funny because, I, you know, I think in my mind, I, you know, when I was getting into this profession and then, you, know, you dream of being a GM, and then when you get that opportunity, I think in your mind, you're, you know, there's always that like subconscious thought that says, if I ever get to the Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl, you know, the rest is icing on the cake and it's all downhill. You know, they can never take that away from me. That kind of, you know, mindset. And it, I have learned, and this is me personally. I, I don't know how others feel who have, you know, been down this road, but. Um, it's been the complete opposite where the pressure and the stress um, only magnifies. And, you know, I don't, I know that the first time we played the Super Bowl, it was an excitement feeling. Then last year, there was more of an anxiety. And then this year, it's worse than last year. So um, it just, it, and I think the reason, Steve, is because before you win one, there's always that you know, excitement of wanting to get there and experience it. Right. But when you actually win one, you realize it's better than you can ever imagine. And you know what it feels like. And so I think the pressure becomes more because you know what it's like to hold that trophy up. You know what it's like to see your family. You know what it's like to have that parade. And so then that puts more anxiety on you because you don't want to be without that feeling. So um, it, it's gotten more stressful over the years. Um, so I think that the time to really take it all in and enjoy it will probably be way down the road somewhere when it's all said and done. But, um, you know, it's a nonstop schedule. And, you know, obviously we have the big game Sunday and right from there you're in draft meetings and then you're at the combine and then you have OTAs. Then you have a, you know, a breather in, in, in June and then you're right back at training camp in July. So it, it's a nonstop deal. And, um, you know, I don't think I've ever sat there and, really enjoyed it like you should um certainly have some periods throughout the, the course of the spring and summer where i try to take a step back and look but there's always something going on so i don't think you can really probably take it all in until till everything's all said and done well congratulations on what you've done to this point i wish you nothing but the best of luck obviously coming up and you are such a credit to this area that i think uh everyone around here is proud and we're just thrilled that you gave us a few minutes of your time today brett thanks so much Awesome. Anytime, Steve. And, uh, hey, look, hopefully we can do this next year, too, right? That sounds great because I like making an annual event when we talk about Chiefs Kingdom. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Brett Feach, the general manager of the Kansas City Chiefs. Mount Carmel's own. And you notice when he gave his answer about people who influenced, he brought it right back home, didn't he? That's the kind of guy he is. Right. I was Luke just going to say, in, you talked yesterday about guys still calling people coach. He still called his high school football coach, Coach Williams, and not Whitey. <laughs> That's right. Well, no, exactly. There's that respect. There's that respect. My high school coaches, I mean, they've passed, obviously. 
I never once referred to them by their first name, ever. It was always coach, you know. So I know, you know, and see, that's what Brett did. He's done a phenomenal job. He's got a real eye for it. When look, there, I never did in the interview bring up Patrick Mahomes. Um, because we've talked about Mahomes before with Brett. There are a lot of other things to talk about besides the obvious. But he's somebody that that hooked into Mahomes early when he went down to Texas Tech. You know, there's one other guy that on his own went to see Patrick Mahomes and his organization didn't back him up. And that was Ben McAdoo with the Giants. Do you know that? Only because I read it today or yesterday, I think. Yeah, Ben McAdoo with the Giants right, had to go on his own. And he couldn't convince the Giants about anything when it came to him. Brett Veach went and saw him. He told Andy Reid about him, and he stayed with him. Now, Brett did admit last year that being in the Big 12 helped because now Mahomes would be playing a game at Iowa State. Brett could drive to the game. They'd be playing a game at Kansas or Kansas State. Right, Brett could get, drive to the game. You know, things like that would happen because Texas Tech was in the Big Twelve. He said that made it easier for them to scout uh, and take a long look at him as he played games. Uh, you know, buy a ticket, go. I mean, you know, I mean, I've told the story about Jordan Stout punting with with Baltimore. Well, what helped Jordan Stout go from Penn State to Baltimore? The GM of the Ravens, his daughter goes to Penn State, so he come up and go to games. He watched the guy punt, and he goes, the guy can really punt. He went out there scouting a punter, but he like, boy, this guy can punt, and we could use one because Cook, you know, financially was going to be maybe out of their range. To go back what Brett talked about, about one of the questions they asked him about the money component. It is a jigsaw puzzle to put together a pro sports franchise based on cap numbers and how you have to make it fit, and it's more difficult for him to do because an NFL roster has 53 spots on it as opposed to an NBA roster that has 17 as opposed to a hockey roster that has 20. He's got to do it with 53 and make all the parts fit. And the quarterback number is going to be higher than anybody for obvious reasons. And He's, he did a great job of structuring that because two years ago when we talked to Brett about this, or a couple years ago we talked to Brett about the quarterback number and how he structured the Mahomes deal was done in such a way um, that it gave them some flexibility. But he still had to deal with Tyreek Hill. I mean, that's how difficult that job is. That I mean, the, the, the ability of a GM to put together a roster to make the character part fit, to make the position fit, and to make the financial fit, no wonder he doesn't have time to enjoy much. Right? And I didn't even bring up the suit. <laughs> well, isn't Brett technically the suit of his organization? Okay, I thought the idea was to praise the guest and not put him down. (laughs) 
I didn't mean an, a, a one-to-one comparison. I meant no, more no. than... This, 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 <laughs> is, this is... Okay, this is a Super Bowl champion. <sighs> and the suit is... Uh, I guess he bowled a 297 once. All right, so uh, we'll... Uh, God, left three pins standing. Had to hurt. All right. Back with more in a moment here on News Radio 1070 WKF. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Got a text from A.P. Mahomes Jr. How dare you compare Brett Beach to the suit? I texted back. I said, I didn't. I said, I defended him. What were you thinking? It wasn't meant to be one-to-one. I meant he had the same role in his organization. He sits in the corner office eating donuts. (laughs) Brett's out there working. I mean, I I think at some point a retraction might be needed. (laughs) I'll have to shoot an email and apologize. Oof. Wow. I mean, I like the idea of having him on as often as we can get him. I don't want to, like, have something stand in the way such as comparing him to you-know-who. All right. So uh, the Super Bowl, by the way, is a week from uh, Sunday. I said, uh, when do you start watching the coverage of the Super Bowl? Do you watch the pregame show? Do you wait till a certain time? What, what do you do? What's your ritual? What time's kick? Six thirty something. Mm-hmm. That's usually when I turn it on. Okay. I have, I have no interest in scrimmages. Uh, Preseason games, preseason shows. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, I just, I, right. Yeah. I have no interest in that stuff either. I, I just, I, I watch the, I watch the game. Uh, I, I enjoy the commercials at times as well, but I, no, I just, I, I, think I, the, I, I, I find that to be, eh. eh. It has not been great the last couple of years. I'll give you that, but no. the last, I mean, I think they're they're doing eight hours of pregame. Who, who's going to watch eight hours of pregame? Well. Uh, I will be fair about that part. If I'm a network that has a Super Bowl and I can sell it, I'll do it. I'll run it. Right. And that's the whole point, that they know they can sell it. Uh, I would ask in an open meeting, is there anything else we can carry during that eight-hour period, whether it's two hours of this or three hours of that, that will allow us to get more revenue? And there's nothing. There's nothing that's going to allow them to get more revenue. Um, now, will other people air stuff? Sure. That's one of the reasons why I won't be here uh, until my guess is somewhere in the middle of the first quarter is when I might be able to start watching. Uh, I don't watch... Usually... Uh, to, to be honest with you, I'll watch a basketball game, usually, 
and I will watch the Waste Management Open, which I think is fun. You know, especially the 16th hole with the crowd and the craziness. You know, they got, I'll watch that. And it usually, actually, to me, is fairly entertaining. And then maybe, maybe when they get to the National Anthem, I might tune in. But that's, you know, um, but that's as close as I get. I mean, to seeing any, I, first of all, I don't feel like I'm going to learn anything in the pregame show at all. I'm big on learning things. I'm not big on, um, I'm just like, you know, wasting my time on something that I probably either already know or might know more about anyway. How about that? Uh, so there's nothing in the pregame show that entices me in any way. Uh, on any pregame show. None. Zero. I mean, I don't care whether it's September or the Super Bowl. This year, I have no choice. Um, there's, you know, I'm not going to have those options. I won't be watching the Waste Management Open or anything like that. Game's at 1 o'clock. Game's over at 3. We're off the air at 3.30. Probably get out of there at 3.45. It's about a 45-minute bus ride to O'Hare. So you're getting there at 4.30. But then you have to go through security. Now it's 5, 5.15, then you got to fly back, and you're probably landing, I don't know, 6.30, 6.45, and then i got to drive drive home. I'm not back till 7 o'clock, maybe. So, yeah, I, even if I didn't, I mean, this is a year where it doesn't really matter. I, I, I will have no shot of watching any of that stuff anyway. How about that? And that's just that's my job, and you know. And somebody said, "Why would they put a game on Super Bowl Sunday?" I'd be putting games on Super Bowl Sunday. What the heck? I mean, you know, it's up to you to fill your airtime in some way, shape, or form, and that's how they cho- choose to do it. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, I mean, if I'm running the network, I'm not sitting there. Like some ways, I'm counter programming the other guys by actually putting action on, as opposed to. Five guys sitting around a table saying, you know, like, look how Mahomes throws the ball. Yeah, well, okay, I've seen him throw a 1,000 passes, too. We're, we're, we're good. I mean, what do you do leading up? What do you prefer to watch, if anything? Can't uh, be doing yard. can't be doing yard work. No, I, it's probably bad. I, I would probably find a basketball game. I'm a flipper. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll be flipping. I'd probably flip between a couple basketball games and, and the golf. Honestly, if I would have realized it's the waste management open, I would probably stop on the golf as well. I do like that. I do like that part three with everybody screaming at everybody. No, it's crazy. <laughs> no, it's crazy. I love it. I mean, it's really to me, it's a lot of fun. Um, a lot of fun. And uh, it was, uh, you know, uh, you know, boo. I mean, they're booing golfers. I'm like, okay, great. Yeah, that's great. I, oh, I can't believe it. <laughs> But yeah, uh, that's why I think makes it a. Uh, it's like forty thousand people at that hole. I think thirty. Yes, there it's are something ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, no, I've seen the setup because when Penn State played in the Fiesta Bowl, uh, Jack and I went out and had dinner at 
TPC Scottsdale, and they already had the course set up with the stands and everything like that. So yeah, I got a chance to walk around, look look at a little bit. It was like it's actually a really cool setup, really cool. Okay, um, the um, Purdue game last night with Northwestern where Chris Collins eventually got thrown out with about, what, 1.8 seconds to go in overtime. So last night, Northwestern attempted eight free throws in 45 minutes. Purdue attempted 46. (laughs) So one team attempted one free throw per minute. The other team attempted one free throw every six minutes. The um, Again, I only had a peripheral look at what was going on because we went on the air at 8 o'clock. And so you're kind of glancing over, glancing over, and you're just mostly seeing what the score is and how much time's remaining. And uh, and the the Big Ten has uh, has had, and I've taught look. It's not as if I've never talked to Terry Weimer. I've talked to Terry, and I personally have a lot of personal and professional respect for Terry, and also and also for Donnie Epley, because they're really the guys that are running that part of it. But somebody asked me an intriguing question today. They said they were watching a North Carolina. They were down in North Carolina, and they actually were watching an SEC game. It wasn't so what. They didn't go to it live because there's obviously there's no SEC team in North Carolina. They're watching the game on TV, and they said, this guy asked me today, why is it there's so much scoring in the SEC and there's so much scoring in the ACC? And I said, it's because of the way the games are called. It's style of play where there's a heavy emphasis in the ACC and in the SEC on threes, layups, free throws. I said, but at the same time, the it's more finesse officiating where it's right away you find out early in the season, you lay your you, you touch somebody, it's a foul, which now means that as the season goes, there's more room to operate on the floor. They said the big ten they said there's bang and pound and bang and pound, the whole thing. I mean, ask yourself, why don't Big Ten teams more often get to the Final Four. Why don't they? Because essentially, when they get to the tournament, right, there is no way they can survive the officiating of the tournament. There's no way. You you, you play this ground and pound style, and then you get to the tournament, and guess what? You've got officials from all over the country that officiate it differently than what you're used to seeing on an everyday basis. And what bothers me is the Big Ten's always been proud of this. 
Like, I'm over here. I'm just like, oh, here in the back. No, I wouldn't be proud of it. Okay. You got to conform to what other people are doing, and you got to play the modern game the way they play it. That's where I give Wisconsin credit this year. Wisconsin's become a really good, fun, entertaining team because they stopped doing the ground and pound and, and the football on wood thing. I mean, they're a lot more fun to watch now. But you get into a game like that, all right, and, and some of it is always going to be style of play. Style of play is always going to enter into it. And Northwestern, I take Boo Booey last night. Boo went out and had, um, was 7 of 11 in threes last night. So in those 11 shots, the odds of Purdue fouling him are going to be extremely low. But they attempted a lot of two-point shots in the game. And they didn't get anything out of it last night. I mean, they got nothing out of it. They, you know, When I talk about the eight free throw attempts, let's, I mean, it's even worse than that. Here's the reason why it's worse. Because in regulation, they only attempted two. In regulation, they attempted two free, free throws. That's it. I mean... I mean, when one guy, Zach Eady, and yeah, Eady is, um, you know, being pulled and grabbed and pushed and the whole thing, right? Um, so, I, you know, so he'll he'll draw some. But Eady had 17 free throw attempts last night. He had twice as many free throw attempts as the entire Northwestern team in 45 minutes. And that's just, I'm sorry, that's uh, something not quite right about that. I mean, Gillis had eight attempts last night. Smith had eight attempts. Um, And Northwestern won the first matchup between the two. And here's 81-81 going into overtime. There's something wrong with that kind of disparity. I can see in style of play, in style of play we can talk about the possibility of of more free throw attempts. And I could see maybe 20 to 25 free throw attempts for Purdue to 8. That's still a great disparity. But 46 to 8? In the last 25 years, there has not been, has not been that kind of disparity in the Big Ten in terms of number of free throw attempts. And that's an officiating issue. That's an that's an officiating issue. Some of it's style of play, no question. Um, but that's that's too wide a number. I mean, you could see it maybe even a little bit, like you said, if one team was playing a zone and the other team was playing man, but that right. that's not how it wor- that's not how it was working last night either. It's just it is, uh, you know, I, I think it was uh, the Northwestern Wisconsin I was watching a couple Saturdays ago, and I had the I had the same thought just just watching just how physical the the Big Ten was, uh, like 
I saw a couple moving screens and stuff like that that they let fly, and it's just, yep. it's just, it's hard to get into a flow when the game's like that. I see a lot of it in in high school basketball right now as well, where uh, they've instituted the new rule where you know you you don't get there's no one on one in high school anymore. It's it's more it's the girls or the women's rule where you get five foul five fouls in a quarter sets you two shots. Right. Okay. We're barely getting to five sh- five fouls in the corner. It's made the game more physical, which is not something I I expected to see when they changed the rule. Yeah, and it's the Big Ten is too physical. Yes, uh, and I've felt that way for a long time. Uh, that it's it's too physical. I'm watching how everybody else plays the game, and there's flow to it. That's why the ACC and the SEC have higher scoring numbers, because there's flow to it. Uh, The game is meant to be passing and shooting. It's fine to play defense. I mean, a guy like Ace Baldwin is a fabulous defender and fun to watch as a defensive player, you know, picking pockets, things like that. Um, Let's see here. Did you see they gave him three more assists this uh, this afternoon? Yeah, he's got he got so he had a double double yeah. last night. Uh so he had ten assists in the game. Um I've got the Purdue number here under Matt Painter. Purdue has more free throw attempts than the opponent. Okay. So here are the numbers. This year Purdue is seventeen and one when they have more free throw attempts than the opponent. Now that makes complete Sense, okay, because they're a really good team, and especially late in the game, they're going to get fouled anyway, right? So it's not like you know, but listen to this under Matt Painter, they are 326 and 47. When they have more free throw attempts. Wow. That's a gigantic number. Now, Matt's won a lot, so you're going to have, again, you're going to have more free throw attempts, but still. So look, let's look at, where's Purdue? Let me call up Purdue's numbers here. There we go, the stats. These will be updated as of... Uh, as of last night. So Purdue's 20 and 2. Okay, they now won six in a row, including their overtime win last night. Then they beat Rutgers before that. Purdue this year, okay, the opponents against Purdue have attempted 313 free throws. Purdue has made 397. So Purdue has made 84 more free throws than the opponent has attempted. Now, you'll see that with most winning teams anyway. But more free throws made than attempted. Purdue this year has attempted 241 more free throws in 22 games. I mean, okay, 241. That's 11 more free throw attempts per game. 
11 more per game. They're getting 18 points per game from the free throw line. The opponent's getting 10 per game. And Zach Eady's been called for a total of 40 fouls in 22 games. That's less than two a game. Okay. I mean, he's attempted 231 himself. I mean, he's personally averaging better than 10 free throw attempts per game. But wow. So if you take his 231 out of there, right, that'd be what? 323? Purdue still has 323 free throw attempts to the opponent's 313. Okay. If 46 of them last night. 46. I can see why Chris channeled his dad there. Well, you know what? But he's not wrong. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, he, he he's sitting there, and look, this is... Um, some of it's going to be style of play. I got it. Some of it is absolutely style of play. Okay, I got that part. I tell you, in fact, I, I, I think in the broadcast, we're pretty fair about usually pointing out style of play versus free throw attempts when we see it. And then there are other talent, because if you're, if you're a jump shooting team, it's going to be style of play. But the entire game is not jump shooting. I mean, the entire game's not jump shot. You're, gonna, you're telling me that you look at last night's game. Let's see, where's I'll call up last night's game. So here's the box score in last night's game. So last night, Ty Berry, who can drive to the bucket at three attempts, Brooks Barnheiser, who plays around the bucket at three attempts, Luke Hunger, who plays center, had two attempts. That's it. And in regulation, as a team, they had two. Now, here's here's Purdue. Heidi had two. Gillis had eight. Trey Kaufman ran at five. He was one of five. He's running steps today. Braden Smith had eight. Lance Jones had six. He's a slasher. And Edie had 17. They averaged a free throw attempt. Per minute, 46 free throws, 45 minutes. Northwestern averaged one every six minutes. That's attempts. Now, three-pointers, yeah, Boo was 7 of 11, Barry was 6 of 9. All right, so you're going to have, but that is 20 of their 27 three-point attempts. Okay. So you look at what they did in the game, and they had 39 two-point shots in the game. 39 two-point shots. So the 39 two-point shots, what Barry obviously, I mean, Barry's three had to be on a three-point attempt. but And Barnheiser would not be. It's like they still had 39 attempts or twos. Purdue, by the way, on twos last night had 
36. Purdue actually had fewer two-point attempts in the game than Northwestern. Oof, that's brutal. And the Big Ten wonders why when they get to the postseason play, why, geez, the game just feels like it's so differently officiated. Because guess what? It is. That's why it's going to be interesting to see next year when they, they – they're going to have to bring in some Pac-12 officials next year, you know. They're going to have to. Because, A, they need jobs, and, B, the Big Ten's going to need more officials. I don't know. Not good. We'll come back more in a moment here on News Radio 1070 WKOK.